Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accru. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how we are growing as individuals and how we're building a firm in a way that's healthy and sustainable. There is always more to learn and we want to share what we have learned and what we are still learning. Today, we'll be talking about how we aim to work with clients in a way that is collaborative and not just compliance and really definitely not with contempt. So we'll start with kind of talking through the sales process and how we kind of think about that and how we approach it, what it looks like to work collaboratively with clients ongoing, and then sometimes when you need to conclude services, how you do that in a way that still keeps everyone on the same side of the table as much as possible, even when there's friction. So let's dive right in. The sales process is one of those things that I feel the most proud of with working at a crew because I think it's really easy for sales to feel like very gross <laughs> at a lot of places. And I think we do a good job of, of approaching it with like a very human bend. So I think the first thing that I'll note in this is that we like working with clients that we like as human beings and that we can imagine working well with. So what does that look like for you, Anna? Yeah. Well, I think now that I'm a little bit more back in the sales process, this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit, that I want to work with someone that I am rooting for. Hmm. Like if we view our role as the guide and the client is the hero, do I want them to win? Like, am I actually rooting for them? And would I be open and, and happy to help guide them towards winning? Because if I'm not really like on their side of the table, like if I don't really want to work with them in the first conversation we're having, this is not going to be a good ongoing relationship. And actually for several of the potential client meetings I've been in recently, they have volunteered like words like partnership before I even say, you know, we see this relationship as a partnership. They're like, oh, I'm just, I'm really looking for a partner. Like I'm really looking for someone, you know, where it feels like everything we're going to describe that it should feel like. And it's like, oh, it's such a good flag. You know, I mean, still we'll see, but like, it's such a good <laughs> sign to me that, that they get what we're doing. Like we don't want it to feel transactional. We don't want to just be this, outside vendor that you give money and we give reports and like, that's it. That's all we're doing here. So I, I really like working with clients that we like. Now, the flip side of that, I have been taken in, I will say, I will fully own by clients who appear to like me. That's <laughs> not the same thing as a client that you like. It is yeah. flattering thank you so much. But do I actually like you in return? Because I'm not looking for clients that are fans as uncomfortable as that is to say, because it feels like I'm just patting myself on the back that everyone thinks I'm great. But there are people that are like, you know, that will come in and that will like say things that feel good and feel charming and like, wow, you've really got things all kind of set up. And it's like, we do. Thank you. But like, this is again, a relationship. Like you can't, you can't date someone who's just into you that you're not into. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to work with someone that's just into you that you're not into. Like it needs to be mutual. 
Well, and I think it's super easy for someone in sales to fall into this, but particularly like getting even more narrow into why that would be appealing is if you have galvanizing as part of your strength set or, you know, strengths finders uses the word woo. If that's in your strengths, it's so easy for you to get people to want to work with you, which feels like the accomplishment, like feels like, oh, I did it. But if that's not reciprocated, if you don't buy into what they're doing, and it's not just like, oh, we only work with people that we like because we're picky, but we're, we don't have to personally like you, but we ha have to want to root for you. We have to believe in your business model. Like if we don't think that your business is going to be successful, we really don't want to deliver financials every month that are going to be real bad news all the time. And we saw it coming, you know, things like that. Like, I think it's, it's much more broad than just that interpersonal, like dynamic of like, I like the cut of your jib because that's just not good enough for us. And, and truthfully, we are happy to work with people who personally we would never be friends with as long as professionally we can work together effectively and communicate positively and and we can be on the same side of the table as we like to say and i think the same side of the table idea is the real crux of this it's we're not competing here we're not negotiating against each other we're negotiating toward a solution that is mutually beneficial. It's win-win on both sides and that's the solution we're looking for. That is not always people's approach to this, especially if you tend toward that woo or that galvanizing strength. It's easy to think that the win is them liking you, but the win is you guys working effectively together. <laughs> like That's a very yes. different metric. Well, and that's well, I have both of those. I so know. I'm <laughs> a great salesperson. Genius, woo. Yes and no, because there have been times that that kind of winning and it feels great has resulted in clients that weren't a good fit that I should have seen the flags for, but right. I was so busy doing whatever that is that I wasn't <laughs> actually discerning and paying attention and creating good expectations of what it's like to work with us. And so I think another one that is very top of mind is like clients that need you which is very similar to clients that like you, clients that really need you. And there's a couple of different flags in that. One is if they really need you because they're in a huge mess that they could have absolutely prevented by their responsibility being taken or being abdicated, and they've chosen to abdicate it, and now it's this big emergency and mess that they need to be rescued from this will not be the last mess they need to be rescued from. So unless you enjoy that heroics of constantly swooping in to save the day, clients that really need you aren't always the best fit. Now, obviously, if they don't need us at all, we're not talking. So like, <laughs> yeah. they have to kind of need us. But you know what I mean when it's like they really need it's you. It's that desperation factor. Like if we're yes. desperate for someone else to fix this problem that we created, but we need someone else to fix it for us because we're just so overwhelmed by it at this stage that like we just need a, a hero to come in and swoop in and save the day. That is a pretty good indicator of what it's going to look like to work with them. And oftentimes what I've found with clients who think like that is they're very quick to throw you under the us if that 
happens again in the future after you start working together. And so one of the best signs in the sales process for us of people who really, really need us is as soon as you start talking smack on your last person or Ooh, you- Such you, a flag. Such a flag. You start like saying that this is someone else's fault and responsibility and you, now it will be your responsibility. It will likely also be your fault if you say yes to that client. When in reality, as a business owner, it's all your responsibility. You chose that mm -hmm. person. You said yes. Like these are all choices we've made along the way. Now that doesn't mean that you haven't been, you know, taken by someone who maybe didn't know how to do it correctly or whatever. Like it doesn't mean that you had everything, the whole thing is your fault and responsibility, but it is always your responsibility as a business owner. And so if you don't have a propensity to assume responsibility, and to point blame, then you will probably do that to us in the future. And that's something I'm so uninterested in, in part because we don't want that, but mostly because we have a team of people who will be the ones thrown under that bus. And I am a whole host of no's to that. Like that's a, yeah. that's a big old no from me, dog. That's an all the way no. Yeah. Just back all the way up <laughs> off of that, that, that is, that is a hard no. Yeah. And that's something I really pay attention to in the sales process is how do you talk about the last person? If you, if there was a last person doing this, which actually more often than not at this point, it is, unless it's like a brand new business owner that's never done anything like more. More and more lately, I am talking to potential clients who were working with someone in some fashion, but I really pay attention to it because there's a big difference between, you know, we've been working with someone, but I kind of feel like this stuff isn't accurate. And when I ask them about it, like, I don't really understand what they're saying or like, they don't get back to me. Like you can talk about what isn't working to work together in a way that isn't just making them look bad. Totally. When you start going into like, they are the worst. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you all the things that they did wrong. I'm like, oh, let me tell you. Where How we're not going to work together. <laughs> because I just I just insert our name into that mm -hmm. sentence. Like, mm -hmm. like exactly like what you're saying. Okay. If this is how they're going to talk about the last person, it's the same with a candidate, you know, somebody mm -hmm. who wants to get hired here. I'm really paying attention to how they're talking about their last job. Not like totally. they can never say anything about it didn't work because like, why would you be looking for another job if everything about it was amazing and all your needs were met? Yeah. But I just search and replace the name they're saying with our name and go, Ooh, is that how I would want someone to talk about us in the world, maybe that's not like then what I want to give an opportunity for because mm -hmm. yeah, I, it, it tends to be a flag for if everything is the other person's fault and responsibility and nothing is yours, we won't be partners. Mm -hmm. exactly. This is a, your part, our part thing. And if, if everything was a hundred percent, the fault of the other side and you can't say a single thing that maybe was, like what you could have done differently, you know, mm -hmm. so something in that we're like, Hey, you know, I chose them. So mm -hmm. that's on me, whatever, yeah. you know, I'm just really paying attention to that because yeah, I, I don't, I want to be mindful of like who on our team is this client going to get assigned to, 
And, and let me not even just let me insert my name into that sentence. Let me insert one of our team members names into that sentence. One of the people that I care about and want to support and develop and want and I'm rooting for them. I already know I'm rooting for our team. Mm-hmm. I don't know yet if I'm rooting for you, potential client. So if I hear words that I can imagine one of our team members' names in the sentence of, and it goes, ooh, no thank you, then it's probably a no thank you. So yeah, totally. that, yeah. that's one I pay attention to. Other stuff you look at? Well, I, I mean, I think to your point about the hiring process as well, like our sales process and hiring process are very parallel. Like they look really similar in terms of how we vet and how we think about things. So it's it's a very interesting, like when we're looking to get candidates, it's similar to how we're looking to get clients. And I think that says a lot about how we choose to work together with both the team that we hire and work with and also the clients that hire us and we work with. So I think that's such a weird like parallel that is not immediate obvious to most people because they're they're both like that filtering process is very similar and then they both have an onboarding process Mm -hmm. to get acclimated with what it's like to work with us there is a ton of parallel between sale like a new client and a new team member like and I think the us thinking about things in that way has helped make both of those processes better because we've learned things in the sales process that we've then translated into the employee onboarding process. We've learned things about, you know, creating expectations in the employee onboarding process that we've transferred over into the sales process. Like, so I think if you think about them in that way, it's very easy to make both of them better because you'll Mm -hmm. see issues on either side and not always connect the dot. That is probably a very similar issue. And Mm -hmm. you have to explain what it's like to work with you on this side or this side. And you both kind of have to be on board with that or it's not going to work. Totally. The other thing I'll say is a lot of firms I've heard will just try to say no without saying no to a client like this. That if if I'm getting the sense that you're going to be, they call it PETA uh, Mm -hmm. clients, so uh, pain in the ass clients, it is a passive aggressive attempt to say no to working with them. But if they have already gotten no's from other firms or if they're highly impressed by your firm and that price doesn't make them balk, they'll say yes and you'll still have to work with them. And so trying to price them out with that PETA pricing doesn't really end up working most of the time. Sometimes it forces them out, but it also doesn't really address anything and it doesn't really, it kind of skirts the issue in in a pretty passive way. And if they say yes, you have to be willing to say yes too, because you priced them. And we've, we've done that a few times in the past and, and tried to say like, well, if we don't really want to work with them or if it would, if we worked with them, it would have to really be worth it. Okay. What's that cost? It's the emotional cost is hard to measure and it can't always be priced quite at what it will feel like when it actually comes to fruition. And so that PETA pricing doesn't always solve your problem for you. And so we've really avoided trying to price people out. We'll just tell you if it's not a good fit and we'll happily refer you to another firm and we'll, we'll say as much as we're willing to say about why it's not a fit. I think this came up recently with a firm that's just looking for a project and we just don't do project work. Our our entire mission is to partner with leaders to build and grow remarkable organizations. And so if we're looking to partner, one-off projects are really not a good fit for us. And if that's the case, us trying to 
price a project or trying to make that work or trying to force a square peg into a round hole is not going to be a good fit for them. And it's really not going to be a good fit for us. So like, we're happy to refer you out for that, but we're not going to just force it to work because we're looking to say yes to everything. And I think that is, again, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but like our approach is not the one that most or all firms take. Like a lot of firms will say yes to any client that's knocking on their door, and that is a very specific like growth plan and and business model. It just isn't ours. And so there's not like a right way to do this. But I think if you're looking for the kind of partnership, you're looking to have the kind of team support that you want your team to feel like they're working with people that they root for. And if if all of this resonates with you, then PETA pricing isn't going to work and trying to like, you know, skirt issues is not going to work. But we we tend to address things head on and, and run toward the fire as opposed to running away from it and hoping it goes away because it never does. Like fires don't just put themselves out. <laughs> you typically have to do very quite annoying. a lot to put them out. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. annoying. They sometimes do, but like that's a very rare occurrence. And I would rather say the yes when we mean the yes and say the no when we mean the no, but also still be kind and gracious in how we do that and show up the way we want to show up as the people we want to be and offer solutions still because we see the sales process not as not just can we work together, but can we find a solution that works for you and works for us? Because sometimes what works for us is not working together. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it is, but like we want our yes to be yes and our no to be no, and for that to be meaningful and intentional when we give it. And I think the way that we approach that means that we work with really awesome clients, which is kind of awesome. Well, the other thing about PETA pricing is when you price a client really high, then they expect more. So now yes. you've taken a client that you already know is a pain and you've given them license to expect even more. Mm-hmm. So, and you've done that so that you could avoid telling them the truth that they actually seem like they won't be easy to work with. So how are you going to effectively partner together with someone you don't like, who's going to expect even more than they probably ought to, and that you can't just shoot straight and be honest Mm -hmm. with? Like, in what world is that one going to be a win-win scenario? Yeah. Like, it's not. Like, you can't. So, yeah. and we've done it. We've totally done it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it sounds like smart advice. You know what? Mm-hmm. They're going to be a pain, so just price it so that it's worth it. And I'm at a point now, and, and I'm very grateful to be, where it's like, it's not, though. We <laughs> it never just, will we, be. <laughs> it's just not worth it. And what's so stupid is like there's probably someone whose personality and temperament would totally vibe with them Mm -hmm. that they would actually get along great with. And it would be such a better fit for everyone if we didn't try to force this to work. So what are we doing exactly? I, I think keeping the actual goal in mind is super important because if your goal is just to grow revenue, like you're going to want to pay the price. You're going to want to, you know, bring in as many, say yes, as many times as you can, you know, like there's, there's a very different bend there, but like, what is the goal of your sales process is how you get to, how do we filter for that? One of the things that we've done is 
look at our best fit clients and kind of reverse engineer, like what industries are they in? What, what, what were the green flags that we got in the sales process and throughout working with them that we could kind of pinpoint earlier in our sales process so that we're really evaluating clients in a way that is functional and early and getting the right kinds of clients in and saying yes if it works for them, but really us saying yes to them. And then really quickly identifying who are the bad fit clients or the poor fit clients that we should really refer out and sooner than later before we've invested time in looking at their books and pricing them and creating a proposal and doing all of that stuff. Like how can we shortcut that decision? Because we know who's a good fit from our current client list. And we know who hasn't really been a good fit. So let's identify those profiles of, of that ideal client and that poor fit client, and then just figure out like, what do we really need to suss out in this process? So I, I'm curious, I, this is this is not something that we plan for, but I'm, I'm curious if there are any kind of industries or like any kinds of like through lines of a really good or a really bad fit client for you. Yeah, I think we've identified a couple of industries that we have a, a lot of clients in. We started as generalists and and there's pros and cons to that, you know, pro is like there's a lot more opportunity, but then con is like you're constantly reinventing the wheel. And so we're kind of getting into the space of like what if we're sort of a generalist but kind of more like we have some zones of expertise, and then we don't go too far outside of those. So, you know, nonprofits is one for us, kind of plumbing in trades is one for us. And then it's a very broad category, but something like professional services is one for us. But I've looked at, and this kind of aligns with what we were talking about earlier, throughout the kind of learning how to do sales and have it not feel gross. What I've always paid attention to is more demographic. Is this someone I want to work with? Like if we, if the average life cycle of a bookkeeping client is something like seven years, do I want to spend seven years with this person? Mm. Like, would I be rooting for them for seven years? Like, am I like, am I here to support them in what they need? And like, am I going to be good with them, you know, communicating with our team? Like, like, is this going to be a productive relationship? Or is this going to be future problems that end up just getting pushed back up to me anyway? Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe not to that, you know, this, mm -hmm. but but also to your point, yeah, if you're growing, like if, if you want to just take on as many clients as possible and in the very early days of the anybody, everybody, please give me money. Like, I just want this to actually be a real business. Like, I wasn't paying as much attention to that because any clients was like so exciting to, to mm -hmm. do and I couldn't really afford to be choosy yet, you know, but this podcast is about growing a healthy, sustainable firm. So we're going to give advice on that bend of things. And if you want to just grow and scale up and build the like fastest growing firm, like this is a terrible podcast to listen to. It's probably <laughs> yeah. not for you. Unsubscribe. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can just, I'm sure there's a better podcast for that. Yeah. But it's, yeah, that that's just, I, I've, I've learned from so many fires being put out, so many like hard and unnecessary conversations and conflict and things we had to sort through and clients we had to let go that it's like, you know, if we never said yes to this, 
it wouldn't be this pain right now of having to now exit this client. Yeah. I knew when we were talking, we shouldn't have said yes. And I did. And now I have to feel this pain. And so it's really just the, okay, we've done this enough. We've run this experiment. We have done this enough times. Could we learn how to do this better so that we yeah. are only spending all the time and effort and energy of onboarding and setting up and getting to know creating systems for clients that we know are going to be a good fit in the long term mm -hmm. and not do all that same amount of work for clients that are not going to be cool to our team you know not going to be high trust like we're not going to be rooting for each other we're going to be throwing each other under the bus like you know just all of that kind of like unhelpful time wasters like it just mm -hmm. sucks the time and life out of you and so like nah what if we just worked with clients we love working with and who love working with us and like, not that it's going to be perfect, but that it's no. going to be effective and collaborative. And like, we're all kind of on the same page about what we're doing. Like if we could do that, why not do that? Well, that's a great segue. I think the next thing that is the biggest, most important thing in our sales process, but also in our onboarding process is creating that clear expectation of what it will look like to work with us. So if, you know, hopping on a Zoom call or, you know, giving us access to your books or, you know, being responsive to our emails is not something you're interested in doing. It's probably not going to work because we're a fully remote firm and that's how we connect. We do not just pick the phone up and call our clients because we haven't heard from them in a you know couple weeks. We solve our problems through the mediums that we've pre-selected. And so in our process, we will just say, this is what it looks like to work with us. And I think that setting the expectations early in the sales process means that clients get to opt out early too. potential clients get to. So if we're having that conversation about, yeah, we just don't do phone calls. Like we will do Zoom meetings if they're built into your services and it's a service you pay for and it, they're pre-scheduled. They're not just going to pop up on our calendar. That's not how we work. It's a completely different conversation for clients who are like, oh, yeah, no, I want someone who's going to pick up the phone and call me. Great. We totally know bookkeepers who do that. So we'll happily refer you to them. We just don't do that. And I think that kind of clarity at the beginning adds so much value to the process of what it looks like to even say yes. And it means that they get such a good sense of how it's going to look to work with us because we are clear because we think clear is kind and we want to set expectations at the door so that those expectations can be met or we can reiterate when they're not met. You know, hey, just FYI, this is what we talked about in the sales process. That's not included in your service. These are the options available to you. Which of these works for you? You know, that kind of solution orientation, it works for some clients and it doesn't work for others. And that's all okay. Like we're perfectly happy for this to not be a fit for you, but we're not going to adjust our expectations of our team or of ourselves just to fit your expectations of us. So nah, not that one. So I yes. think being clear at the door. Yeah. Yes. You do not. I mean, maybe this is, uh, I'm, th I'm thinking of the, the burger place near me, but I don't know if this will translate to everyone. You do not go to In-N-Out and ask them to make you a taco. You know that they make burgers. They make burgers and fries and shakes and that's it like and soda. But like that's it. That's all that they make there. You know, if you want a salad, they will direct you to go somewhere that makes salads because that is what they do. 
if you know that ahead of time, you're not going to ask for it. And even if you ask for it, they're still not going to do it. But we tend to feel like if a client asks for it, I think we have just burned into our brains that the customer is always right. And I love the way that we, you know, think about that, which is that the the client, they're always the hero of the story. The hero's not always right. No way. Like there's the heroes make mistakes were, all the time. <laughs> yeah. They, then they would be a super boring movie because they would have nothing to learn. They would have nothing to grow in. There would be no story arc. Like there are going to be times where they're not right. But as the guide, how can we be cool about that? How can we let them know what to expect? How can we kindly and clearly remind them what to expect and give options for what we actually can do? that they should already know and have opted into. But like, I, I've been so much more intentional about that in our sales process of things like, hey, we don't do phone calls. Like if you're looking for that, that's never gonna be us. So like, is that a deal breaker for you? Like, mm -hmm. and, and ask a question about whether that would work for them rather than just informing because it makes them stop to think for a second and go, oh, no, I don't really care about that. Or we've had someone say, no, I want someone who I can call. And we say, absolutely. I totally get that. That's not going to be us. So let me see if we can find you a referral. Like, because we're not going to change who we are and how we work to suit a client's needs, or that will be all we're doing all the yeah. time, very ineffectively, but we can still help by being clear, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. If you want what we don't do, here are some ways you can get what you want. This is not gonna be from us. Mm -hmm. We can do what you want in a way that we would do it, or we can guide you to someone who would do what you want. We're not going to be different just because you want it. Like, but I want mm -hmm. it. But Jill, <laughs> I want it. Jill, I want it. Give it to me, I want it. <laughs> No, but I'm happy to help you find that somewhere else. <laughs> How'd I do? Such a pro. <laughs> Basically in sales. I, I think the other like last thing to close out the sales process conversation is that clients do not just know how you work. You have nope. to tell them. You cannot just expect that they have worked with another firm so they know, or or maybe they've never worked with a firm at all, but maybe they have worked with another firm. That firm isn't you. So like the way that you operate as a business owner, the way that your team interacts, the way that you approach the work, the way that you ask questions, the way that you, you know, will deliver things or not deliver things like that's not intuitive. And I think so often in accounting in particular, we're so deep in it that we tend to assume that everyone knows how this functions, but we're in it. It's our thing. It's not their thing. That's why they're coming to us to work with us. So explaining to clients how you in particular work is such a great way to set those expectations at the door because they just won't magically know how that happens and how that works. We got a question recently. We, we offer bill pay and we had someone recently in the sales process say, but how does that work? And in our heads, it just was like, oh, well, like, it's very simple and straightforward. You send us, you send the, us bills, the invoice. We pay them. <laughs> we pay them. Like, like, I don't. Yeah, it's, 
it sounds really straightforward to us, but they mm-hmm. wanted to understand, like, do you get access to our accounts? Like, what kind of visibility do we have into that? Is there an approval process? You know, there's just questions that we will have to answer because it isn't intuitive. So being really upfront at the beginning about what it looks like and feels like even to work with you is really helpful in helping that potential client really make the best decision for them, which is the goal. It should, well, for us, it's the goal, (laughs) not for all firms, but like for us, it's the goal for it to be a good fit on both sides. We want them to win. We want to win and we want that to be mutually beneficial. And I think, you know, being really clear in the sales process means that when they say yes, they mean it too. And when they say Mm -hmm. no, they mean it as well. Like it's, it goes both ways, but it means that we're making the right decision more often than not on both sides. Well, and that being mutually beneficial goes right into this being an effective ongoing relationship. Because if one of us feels like we're being taken advantage of in some way, or we said yes, but it's not really a yes, or like it's kind of just a yes for now, but we sort of have one foot out the door, like in a we'll see kind of a way, like it's usually not a good fit. And, And one of the most poisonous things in having a collaborative relationship with a client is when one or both of you resents the other one. When you Mm -hmm. feel like you're being taken advantage of, when you feel like they're expecting things that are unreasonable, like when you resent the work that you're doing for them, it's A, usually an indication you've agreed to things you didn't really agree to, which means that you probably ought to have said no, but we're avoiding conflict. Mm -hmm. And then you you don't give that your best work. You don't give that your, you know, energy and intention. Like you're not putting the good parts of yourself into that effort. And like, I looked at a potential client's like reports recently and I, I told them like, it, it just, it seems like the person doing this just didn't want to be. Like there's something about that, which sounds so stupid when you're talking about financial reports, but I was just like, I just feel that they didn't want to be doing this. Yeah. And that's, and that's a bummer because like this organization wants and needs effective, you know, numbers and to understand where they're at so that they can make good decisions. And so if you're doing that in a way that like you just really don't even care anymore because you you've been so burned by them and you're so burnt out by them like no one is winning in this scenario so i think absolutely starting with it being mutually beneficial and ensuring that it always stays that way like mm-hmm. is so important for those ongoing client relationships but it does not mean there will never be conflicts totally and that's one that's really hard to deal with is is you know But what happens when something goes wrong? Jill, Mm -hmm. what happens when something goes wrong? We run toward the fire. I mean, we we will – I think one of the things that is most important to remember is that deferred conflict accumulates compound interest. It is deferred and – well – Deferred conflict is just worse conflict later, in other words. You know, like you don't actually ever get to avoid it. You really only push it off and make it bigger. And and to the fire analogy, if you're just turning your back on that fire and walking away and hoping that that just puts itself out, most of the time that fire gets bigger. 
So if, if we're not running toward that fire, it will inevitably become a worse problem later that we will have to address in a much more awkward way. <laughs> and I am pretty uninterested in that awkwardness later. I would rather have the awkwardness sooner and then see if it's still a good fit, you know, as early as possible. This is something that, again, we do in the hiring process as well. We're going to address stuff as early as possible because we don't want to inadvertently communicate. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like, let's just And everything's going. on fire behind you while you yes. got your coffee. Drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So addressing issues in real time is really important for us and, and making sure that we're supporting our team in doing that as well. Because it doesn't just stop at that sales process. They get handed to an account manager and that account manager is the one doing that day-to-day -day communication. So one of the things that I think we use to help with this is we have really regular communication in that first initial onboarding phase. And we, there's a couple reasons for that. One, most clients come to us because they didn't know what was happening in their books. They couldn't get a hold of their bookkeeper or accountant. They, there was a communication issue or they didn't understand what was happening. There's almost always a communication issue at the root of why we're talking now. And that communication issue is not something that we can go, oh yeah, 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 we communicate and then you'll get your reports and then it'll all be fine especially as we're in that trust building phase of onboarding. So while you're learning to trust us and we're making sure that that yes was a meaningful yes and that the client fit is right for our side as well, we're going to send you weekly updates. And we'll tell you that at the door. We'll tell you that in the onboarding call. We'll pick a day that that's going to happen so that you know that every Thursday you're getting that email saying, here's where we're at. Here are our questions. So you know that we're making progress on stuff. You know that we are getting what we need from you. You get a few questions at a time. So it's not just this huge laundry list at the end of a project of like, okay, well, we did what we could, but here's everything you now need to do. That's how partnering works is you work together to get to that end result of we've cleaned this up or we've caught this up or we've gotten everything sorted so that we're ready to launch. We've got your chart of accounts sorted and all of that should feel collaborative on both sides, which means if we're sending weekly communication and we're not hearing back from you, that's a flag. If we're sending communication and you're just kind of deferring that, that's going to be a worse fire for you later and that might not be a good fit for you. But it also is the only way clients ever know that anything is happening is if you communicate with them or send them something. And I, we mm -hmm. say this all the time internally, especially because it's so easy to be like, well, yeah, I'm working on it. Like I, I, I'm doing it. I'm in it, you know, every week I, I've been making progress. Surely they see that. No they're not in QuickBooks. That's why they hired you. They're, they're literally just doing their actual job. They're leading their company. They're doing their thing because they feel like it got handled. But the only way that that can continue feeling like it's handled after they've signed the engagement is if we're connecting with them regularly in communication. So we are sending you updates or we're sending you deliverables or both, ideally. And, and you know exactly when that stuff's going to happen. And one of the other benefits of that communication, I think, is that it sets the expectation of when deliverables will happen. But if we get closer and closer to that date and we're still not getting stuff from you, we're going to push that date out and you're not going to be able to say, what the heck? I thought we were getting this in March. Well, we can't actually get it to you if you're not answering our questions, if we're not getting what we need on the other end. So 
we get the opportunity to say, we're still on track. We're still on track. We're still on track. And as we get closer to that date, we're getting off track. So like this may delay it if we're not able to get these things. And that kind of communication and clarity provides so much, um, assurance from clients that they know what's their part and what's our part. Like that, that distribution of responsibility is not always clear to clients because they think I hired an accountant. Like I, I hired someone to do this for me, but we can't know things that we can't see. We can't process stuff that we don't have access to. Like there's just so many things that like they're not thinking about. It's our job to guide them toward that. So really addressing things regularly, addressing things without conflict as often as possible. But when problems arise, I think just running toward that fire and just having that tough conversation in, in writing most of the time so that they've got some time to cool off or whatever. But we're also approaching it with solutions. So this is the issue. Uh, you know, this came up recently with a client who thought we were handling something that was definitely not in our engagement and never on the conversation. But the previous bookkeeper had handled it. And so they assumed that we were handling it. And as soon as they were like, raising that flag to us and saying, Hey, what the heck, this isn't getting handled. It was, it would have been so easy to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, let's fix that. Like let's, let's do everything that we can, but it wouldn't have been appropriate to do that. And so the response was that was not actually part of our engagement. That was never handed to us. That's not even part of the thing that we do with clients. And so here are the options for you. You can outsource this to, to the company that's handling your payroll, which is not us. <laughs> you can handle this yourself, or we're happy to handle this for you within the services that we already have. So it was a, a bill that they wanted paid, but they wanted us to just magically know that it needed to get paid. But we had no visibility into that and we couldn't have known. And so they ended up, you know, the solution really is just send us the bill. <laughs> just just we send can us just the bill. pay it. We See, this is why it. we need that bill pay infographic. Step yeah. one is send us the bill. Send us the so, bill. Tell yeah. us a bill needs to get paid and then give us the and medium. <laughs> like that sounds so stupid, but when you create that much clarity, here's your part in it. I'm already ideating about what this is going to look like. Here's Great. the your part in it. And here's that color. Here's the our part in it in some different color, you know, like just when you can create clarity about what you can expect, what we're going to do, what you're going to do, like it just makes all of that easier, especially when there is conflict, because yes. when there is conflict, you, you'll kind of tend to knee jerk one of two ways. You'll knee jerk into falling on your sword. That is probably all your fault. Or you'll knee jerk into being defensive and that it absolutely wasn't your fault. And how could you even, and usually mm -hmm. the answer is probably somewhere in between those. It's probably some amount of, we should have been more clear, but this was never part of our services, mm -hmm. you know, or like we did make a mistake, but it also was because we were missing something, you know, there, there's usually some blend of both. And so I think one of the things we've done really well in equipping our team is if it seems like there's conflict, don't just fire off an email. Mm -mm. Get, get, get a second set of eyes on that. Like make sure that you're reading it correctly. Like you actually get what they're asking for, especially if they seem like they're upset and make sure that our response is appropriate for what's happening. 
Should we apologize? Is there something to apologize for? Did we actually make a mistake? Do they have an expectation that's inappropriate and we can better clarify what the what you know they should expect, but also in a way that is cool. We can diffuse the situation by being cool most of the time. And also let's pay attention. How many times have we done this thing? Have we been cool 15 times and actually we should stop being cool and we should start going, maybe every time there's a problem, you're not cool. And actually us responding and being cool is it's just perpetuating this problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. And and there's some, you know, there's some that, that that's been the case for, from, for the vast majority of clients we work with now, it's like, something comes up, it's a question, it's not accusatory. And we, you know, look for information or answer it. And, and it's not conflict. But the ones that it's conflict for really like our team to get, you know, get someone else's take on it before we just respond to that. Because you might be reading upset and someone else comes in and goes, no, they're just asking a question like this actually isn't like a super big deal, like at all, but you know, um, maybe you're tired, maybe you're hungry, maybe you had a rough day and, and everything just feels like it's telling you you're doing a bad job. Like there's, there's going to be times where that's the case. And so like, if something feels like conflict, you know, get, get someone else to go like, Hey, what's, how should we effectively respond to this so that we can make sure at the end of it, we're either on the same side of the table again or we might have a real conversation about whether we should keep being on the same side of the table, but let's not decide that in conflict. Let's decide, let's sort this sitch and then decide like separately from that. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, we want in the sales process, in the onboarding process, and throughout working together, we want to only really agree to things that we actually agree to. So in this scenario with this client that was frustrated that we didn't pay a bill we didn't know about and wasn't within our services, we it would be very easy for us to like jump because they're upset and go solve that problem for them. And it's just not appropriate. And so that team member in particular looped me in and and asked for input on that email, which I'm so grateful for because our team is so good at just asking for help when they need it and they get help, which is just so reinforcing for asking. Like that's a very important piece of wanting people to ask for help is you actually have to give it and have it be and feel helpful when you give it. But she would have agreed to something that we shouldn't have agreed to. And it would have set unrealistic expectations if she had gone with her gut, her initial gut reaction of, yes, I'm so sorry, let's fix that, as opposed to what is appropriate, which is, so here's here's how this is today, and here are the options that are available to you, which of these works for you, because it really is, again, as a, as a business owner or a leader in an organization, it is entirely your responsibility to make sure your business is functioning. And yes, you've, you know, empowered and equipped us to be partners in that, but it is still entirely your responsibility to make sure that that's functioning. So it, you know, you can, you can resent other people for not knowing things, or you can wish that people would solve your problems for you. But at the end of the day, 
the organization's your responsibility. This is your baby to take care of. And so if you aren't taking care of it, whether or not that's picking the right vendors or whether that's, you know, communicating effectively and proactively before things become garbage fires, it it is always going to be your responsibility. And that's one of the things I really love about how we work with CPAs is it's our responsibility to take the information that we have available to us and turn that into comprehensible financials it's the CPA's responsibility to translate those financials into tax documents and make sure that they're in compliance. But at the end of the day, neither of us is responsible for that organization. The CPA is not, we're not the person leading that business, the person owning that business, the person directing that organization. They're responsible. And so they're, it's up to them to make it function. And it isn't appropriate for us to overstep by saying, yes, I'm so sorry, let's do this just because you're upset or just because something feels like it's a big deal. So that's always a flag when, you know, this happens and it feels very blame game. It's like, all right, let's let's reset this bar at what is a reasonable expectation and let's say yes to what we can do and not offer options that is going to cause us to resent clients in the future because that will only lead to a win-lose. Yes. Well, and, and blame game is not partnering. I mean, we have literally stopped working with someone because we watched two partners throw each other under the bus in front of us. And it was like, oh, that's not a partnership. And if you would do that to each other, we're definitely not going to trust working with you. And so if you're just wanting to blame and throw people under the bus, like then we're no longer partnering. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the same way that our team asking for help and getting help reinforces that behavior. If we jump just because a client is upset, that reinforces the behavior of being upset and then we'll do what you want. Whether or not it was included, whether or not we should be doing it, if you get mad, we'll do what you want. Now that's just going to reinforce that behavior that we're not looking for more of. Nope. So the way we respond when clients seem like they're upset really matters for whether this is going to be a partnership or whether this is going to be a like series of time in between blow ups and awkwardness and like you murdering yourself to try to make it stop in between the next time that that happens and like super no thanks to that too. Yeah. So when that becomes a pattern or for whatever reason we decide that like this is not functioning anymore, that is a really challenging time to say, okay, we're not collaborating anymore. Like this isn't effective. Like we're no longer partnering. Like, like I think we need to call it. Yeah. I think the best indicators of that are when you resent them, when they resent you (laughs) either way, it goes either way. When there's a lack of trust or respect, I think when it's clear that they are triple checking everything that you're doing or, you know, they feel like they can't trust what you're giving them and they're constantly doubting it. That's a big old red flag. When they're not showing you respect in the way that they Mm -hmm. interact with you, when they're not being cool to you or your team, especially your team, I can handle people not being cool to me and reset those expectations. But as soon as you are not cool to my team, uh, I have to stop myself from going full mama bear on that. Oh, I want a mama bear so bad. 
But also we don't because we want our team to be equipped to do that for themselves. You need to be able to advocate for yourself as someone who is owning that client relationship for that period of time that they're assigned to you. And so we'll, you know, equip them with the right words and with the support and with the, you know, all the gifs to make sure that they feel like they're not alone in it. But if if you're not being cool to our team, that is going to be a deal breaker for us, like so quickly, more than I think that probably quicker than anything else. Mm-hmm. When you start having stress dreams about your clients, I think mm-hmm. that's a really big flag. <laughs> when you know, when your spouse knows that client's name when they can yeah. when they can identify the client that you're talking about easily that is such a good flag it's a very subtle one but if you've if you've brought that home with you to the extent that your partner knows exactly who you're talking about or is tired of hearing you talk about them or whatever it might be a good indicator that like you maybe should have called it by now and maybe now's the time because you haven't yet So, yes. Or I think if you think about stopping working with a client and you feel immediately relieved, like, and I, and I will actually think about this in, in the, in the sales process as well. If we said yes to this client, do I feel stressed about that? And Mm. if I think about saying no to working with them at the door, do I immediately feel relieved? And it's not like I'm just going to go with whatever I feel, but those dashboard lights are telling me something that my conscious brain hasn't processed yet, but it's probably something to pay attention to. And almost every time I ignore it, I regret it. And so the same goes when it's clients that like, Hey, if we stopped working with them tomorrow, or even what we did recently with a client is like, we had taken on an additional service that wasn't a good fit. Like there wasn't process for it. No one wanted to own it. Like we weren't getting the information we needed to be able to do it. And then we were getting thrown under the bus for not doing it. And I just went, Hey, this isn't working. We're going to stop doing this. And everyone, including me, felt immediately relieved. It was like, well, A, we just should never said yes to that. To mm-hmm. begin with, okay, got it. Lesson again, keep keep learning. Always more to learn, you know. But also when we say no and we feel immediately relieved, that's probably a good indicator that something there needs to shift. It might not always be get rid of that client. Mm-hmm. It might be, and and sometimes this has happened, like, hey, let's connect and see if we can get back on the same page because here's what's not working. And if that's a deal breaker to get back on the same page, like if that doesn't work for you to work the way that we work, then let's like decide together that this isn't a fit and, and do that at peace Mm -hmm. and not just in conflict, but like, let's just cards on the table. This isn't what's like, this isn't working. So like, do you want, to do the thing that would make it work? Or do you want to find another option? So this might not always just be get out, go on, get, (laughs) go on, get, (laughs) you know, sometimes it can be like, Hey, what if we figured out how to work together effectively or, and then if we do that, we're both recommitting to work in that way. Mm -hmm. Or we're committing that this isn't actually a fit and we can just do that without it being this big blow up in conflict. Or something going wrong and that being the impetus for stopping working together. 
Yes. And, yeah. and we've had referrals from people who they kind of were in that boat and were like, look, like it's not a fit and, and we just can't do it anymore. And like, would this be a good fit client for you to kind of like make this stop for us? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that, you know, I'm always like, but why? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. What's your flag? You, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but if it's like, yeah, it's just an industry we don't specialize in. We don't feel like we're doing a good job for them. Like it's, you know, we're both kind of frustrated because it's not really working like, Hey, and it's one that we happen to, Hey, yeah, I'm happy to talk to them. Like, and I, and I don't want you to look bad in it. And like, we can, we can talk about that. But, but I think in general, if you feel like you should call it, you should probably call it. Or at least have the hard conversation. Yes. Have the hard conversation. Hey, it's like, it's not working. Here's what would make it work for me. Would that work for you? Like, mm -hmm. because we both got to be on the same page for this to actually work. But if you just are waiting and hoping it's going to get better without wanting to do anything about it, like it's, it's not. It's yeah. not, the problem is not going to just go away. You keep sweeping it under the rug and then the rug becomes like this mountain with all the dirt under it that you've swept under there. It's mm -hmm. not going to just resolve itself. So yeah. yeah, it's like run towards the fire. Don't just, uh, it, this always makes you think of, uh, there's an episode of the IT crowd where there's a fire and then Moss tries to put it out with a fire extinguisher that also catches on fire. And so he's <laughs> like, well, I'll just put this over here with the rest of the fire. At least it's organized. <laughs> yeah. Let's just put all the fire together. Not that, you know, yeah. it's like either we're going to put this fire out or like we're going to decide that this isn't our fire to fight anymore. And mm -hmm. either way, we're going to end somewhere at peace. And, and we have had some really challenging client conversations over the years. Yeah. And it's, it's scary. I'm sure we'll have a whole episode on just how to do totally. this kind of conflict because it's, it's a skill to learn. And it's something that like, I personally like just wanted to avoid, like if at mm -hmm. all possible, like, I think when we started working together, like, like how to do healthy conflict was probably like the top thing that I needed to learn and work on. And after so many years of reps, I still don't like it. <laughs> Mm -mm. But I've gotten a lot better at it and it doesn't stress me out in the same way. And I'm mm -hmm. able to do it a lot more effectively without it feeling like such a burden. Like it's, it is a skill that's worth learning because it has helped in my life. It has helped in my marriage and in my family and in just being able to say no to things that I don't want to do. Like it's a really yeah. good skill to learn, but man, it's tough to get started with that. Totally. And also, we don't always stop working with clients because we had some sort of conflict or issue. Sometimes totally. you as a firm have outgrown that client. Like, you know, every, anyone, everyone, please give me money was how a crew started when it was in its early days, which is how most companies start. Like, if you'll pay me, I'll work with you. And you get to a point where, you know, 
it certain industries are not a good fit for you or certain, you know, personality types or certain, you know, size levels. Like we've we've really scaled up to the point where we just don't serve clients under a certain threshold anymore. And so gently guiding them to another solution and being grateful for the trust that they have up to this point given you. And even, I mean, I think finding them a solution or even offering to find them a solution is a great way to kind of diffuse that conflict because it can feel really crummy on the receiving end to be like, you're firing me, but we've been working together for a long time. Like, what did I do? And you didn't do anything. We're just a different company than when we started working together. And similarly, on the flip side, a lot of times clients will outgrow us, you know, and they're ready to hire an internal accountant or they're ready to, you know, level up and have someone who specializes in their industry or in a different way or, or they know someone who's just going to be a better fit for the way that they prefer to communicate. Like it re- there is an array of, of reasons. But when clients outgrow us, one of the things I love that we do is that we celebrate that. Like if you are retiring, we will celebrate you for getting to retire. If you are selling your company, we will celebrate that win for you. If you are at the point where you need to hire someone internally, yes, it means that we stop getting your dollars in exchange for services. And that could be perceived as negative for us, but we're going to celebrate you because you as the client are the hero of the story. And so if we make it about us and what we're missing out on because you're growing, it's stealing the joy of that next level that you're getting to. And I just really love that we focus on the celebration element of that, even when it's not their preference. Like sometimes they're like, yeah, I'm selling because I don't want to do this anymore. And it's like, that's great though. Like at least, you know, and at least you're doing something that's, you know, going to take you to where you want to go. Like, I just really love that we'll celebrate clients progression in life and in business in a way that feels like it's not all about us because if it's all about us, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, that kind of scarcity mindset is missing out on the opportunity a to just be a person to just like, like celebrate that that client is growing in their company and they're succeeding and and not letting their success changing your guys's relationship, just be this big negative to you also means there's potential opportunity there. Being classy at the exit point leaves the Mm -hmm. door open for them to refer someone else who's starting out to you. Like we have Mm -hmm. gotten referrals from people we don't work with anymore because we are classy AF at the door, (laughs) either side, at the door to enter and at the door to exit. We just want to be super classy. We want to be here for you and here for ourselves. We want it to be a win-win. And if someone isn't winning, if you're not winning anymore because we aren't the right fit for you anymore, we want you to find where you're going to win. We are not worried about whether we're going to win because we keep winning because we're not worried about whether we're going to win. And so we just approach things with those open hands that make us open to give and receive. And it's just such a more joyful way to approach life. It's such a more like engaging and encouraging way to, to approach business. And it's just like, why not? man. (laughs) That's a little oversimplified, but kind of like, why not? Like, and, and really, I think, you know, kind of bottom line for everything that we're talking about here, like when you work with clients, you don't like, you don't trust, you don't respect, you're not rooting for, 
that work is going to suck the life out of you. It is so hard to do that work without resentment. It is so hard to do that work in a way that feels meaningful, that it feels like the work you're doing is worth doing. When you like your clients, when you trust and respect one another, when you have good boundaries, when you're rooting for each other and working together and owning each other's, you know, owning your part, they're owning their part. Like when is that good partnership? Working with them is a joy and a privilege. And that's what we want for ourselves. And that's what we want for you and the clients that you work with. Thanks for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.